Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. our series through 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and um, as I mentioned a number of weeks ago, part of the motivation for teaching and preaching through the book of 2 Corinthians was that I believed we needed to talk about the devil, we needed to talk about the, the evil one, Satan himself, the fallen angel, Lucifer. And the first week we preached on, on Lucifer, on Satan, we, we asked this question, is this real? Is it real and and we discovered that yeah he is real and he is moving about this earth satan is not in hell some people think that satan is in hell today he's not in hell today unless you call this world hell and then I'll, I'll give you that right um but he is the prince of the power of the air he is he is the little g god of this world and he has an army of fallen angels to do his bidding and this is something important to note about Satan before we get going too far into the message. Satan is not God. He is not like God. He is nowhere near as powerful as God. Satan is like an ant is to us when you compare Satan to God. And I think sometimes when we're not careful, we give Satan more credit than he deserves. However, that being said, we are probably like an ant to us as we compare ourselves to Satan. He is an incredibly wise in an ungodly wisdom, intelligent, powerful being. And he can affect things in the spiritual realm and he can affect things in the physical realm as well. And he has certain strategies that he has developed over time. And the Bible, which is God's gift to us, gives us a, a bird's eye view of the devil's devices or Satan's strategies. Last week, we asked the question, what are his aim? What is his aim? What is his goal? So he has a strategy. That's the plan that he's put in place to carry out his goal. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we know that he has devices. He has designs, strategies, and schemes. That's what the word devices means there. So the strategy is a plan of action or a policy designed to achieve a major overall aim. His goal, his aim, if you remember from last week, is to take for himself the glory of God, or destroy that which gives God glory. So you think about how many marriages are falling apart today. Marriage 
gives glory to God almost in a way that nothing else can because marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of Jesus and the church. The husband represents Jesus. The wife represents the church. And when marriage falls apart, the devil laughs and is satisfied because he has destroyed something else that is designed to give glory to God. A lot of thoughts on Adam right now. I don't know where he was when Satan was tempting Eve. It almost seems like he was right there, but it may be that Eve took the fruit, ate it, and then went and found Adam. We don't really know, but I can say this, and we'll learn this a little bit later. Adam did not protect his wife. Raise a man who would protect and provide and respect the gift of woman. Adam blew it. He did not protect. Eve. Satan, Satan was giving Eve a leading question. He wanted to take her on a trip. He wanted to walk her to a destination that he had prepared. Now listen to me. This is about the devil's devices. So if, if Satan did this to Eve, do you think he might do it to you? Good question. If Satan did this to Eve, do you think he might do this to you? And so we need to be just as prepared as Satan is to recognize those questions when he comes to us. First of all, he said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? This leading question, he knew the answer to. The ultimate manipulator, the ultimate game player, he asks foolish questions that cause strife. I want to make sure I underline that for you. Is there such a thing as a foolish question because we hear this all the time there's no such thing as a dumb question there's no such thing as a stupid question a stupid question is the one you don't ask no 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 there are foolish questions as a matter of fact the apostle paul warns us away from people who ask foolish questions that are just designed to create strife and division. And this is what he was doing. He was asking a question. It was designed to create strife. It was designed to create division. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So Eve says, well, let me think about that. You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. The problem here with Eve is that she misquotes quotes Jesus, or I'm sorry, God. Well, God is Jesus. So she misquotes God. What did God actually say? See, Eve actually, she put a restriction that God did not put. She added a prohibition that God did not put. So what did God say? This is, this is important for us to understand. Earlier in the book of Genesis, we read this. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did he say, don't touch it? But Eve said, don't touch it. She unwittingly perverted the character of God, making him to seem more prohibitive than he truly is. She added to his word and thus added or took away from his character, veiling his glory. Be careful when you're talking about God that you don't mischaracterize him. And this is the problem we've had in a lot of legalistic churches today. They had prohibitions where God has not added them. And they say these prohibitions are thus saith the Lord. Now there's nothing wrong with guardrails, right? I have no problem with guardrails. God didn't say, don't be alone with a woman who's not your wife. But I choose to have that guardrail in my life. But you know what? That's my guardrail. It's not God's. And if I decide I need to adjust that guardrail in an emergency situation, I adjust it. But some people, they take their word and they make it as though it's God's word. So she started by misquoting God. Now I can see Satan pointing to the fruit when he says, when he says this. You will not surely die. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that Satan has Eve misquoting God, I can see him pointing to the fruit. He's pointing up to this fruit and, and, and he has her walking with him in the garden and he, and he sets the hook. He's got her ear. He's got her listening to him. Hearing what he's saying. Has God really said that? Has God really said that oh come on do you really believe that do you really think god do you really believe god right he's got her he's got her he's got her listening to him he sets the hook and then he's got her eyes look at the fruit look at this look at this tree he's about to have her heart Look how beautiful it is. Pleasant to the eyes, the Bible says. Imagine, imagine what it tastes like. Can you imagine what this will feel like? He's got a flesh. Hold it, enjoy it. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh. It's good for food. How horrible is it for God to keep this from you? Imagine what it will be like to know what He knows. To be like Him. To take for yourself the pride of life. And you're wondering, where do those words, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life come from. They come from John, Jesus' best buddy. He said this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. John is just taking Genesis and he's expounding upon it and helping us to understand the schemes of Satan. He hooks you with your eyes. He hooks you with your flesh. And then he hooks you with your pride. All to destroy, diminish, or veil the glory of God. Because ultimately, what was this about? What was Satan trying to accomplish with Eve in the garden? Can you read the word on the screen? Well, this is, a, this is an eye test. How about now? Can you read it now? Doubt. Doubt. He caused Eve to doubt the Word of God. Has God said this? Oh, He doesn't really mean it. He's not going to let you die. He just doesn't want you being like Him. He doesn't want you to have something that's really, 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 really good for you. He causes her to doubt the Word of God, which causes her to doubt the goodness and the very nature of God. His character. Think about it. Satan said, listen man, God wants to keep this from you, something good. That makes you now think, well wait a second, I thought God was good, but if God wants to keep this from me, maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. Maybe there's something I need to do for myself. Maybe there's something I can do to make myself better. And apply this to your own situation. Are there some good or seemingly good things that Satan is approaching you with? Things that God has clearly prohibited in His Word, very clearly, but you think you can get ahead with or get away with? Are there things that are coming to you? And what happens is Satan is using those things to cause us to doubt the goodness and the nature of God. It could be relationships. It could be wealth. It could be sex. It could be any number of things. Food. It could be status. Reputation. But apart from God, all of these things are twisted. They're perverted. And they ultimately cause great harm to us and others because they veil the glory of God that is meant to spring forth out of us, living waters. We're supposed to be conduits of the grace of God. But when we fall for the devil's devices, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, we hinder the working of the Holy Spirit through us. And ultimately, that's Satan's aim. He wants to destroy us, our testimony, and our ability to bring glory to God. He causes her to doubt the character and the nature of God. A little while ago, I had a conversation with a young woman. And she was struggling with her salvation. And she had prayed to, and asked Jesus to save her. And I asked her the question, did Jesus save you? And she said, I think so, I don't know, I, I, I and I said, well, let me ask you another question. Can God lie? Can God lie? Because God said 
that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. That's what God says. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, when the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Can God lie? Because this is what he has said. And she, she kind of she wavered. Yes? No, I, I'm not sure. Because... God is so big, he can do anything, right? I mean, is, is it possible for God not to be able to do something? So I took her to Titus. A letter in the New Testament where, where Paul the Apostle explains to us that God cannot go against his own nature. The Bible actually says there's something God cannot do. Do you know what it is? Lie. The Bible literally says God who cannot Lie. He cannot lie. And a matter of fact, he's talking about salvation. Has promised you eternal life. Those that have trusted in Jesus. So I looked at this young woman again and I said, so here's what the scripture says. God can't lie. Did he save you? And the little lights came on. Right? And confidence poured into her spirit. God saved me. He keeps his promises. But what, what Satan loves to do is he loves to cause us to doubt the goodness and the character of God. Let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus is not in the garden. He's in the desert. He's been fasting for 40 days. And then Satan comes to tempt him. So he's alone in the desert. He's driven there by the Spirit because this is round two for the human race. Okay? Now, and the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it's written again, in context, that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. We're not here to manipulate God, right? Now, Satan, he tried to manipulate Eve. He tried to cause him, Eve to fall with the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And here he comes to Jesus and he uses the same strategy. He uses the same devices with Jesus that he used with Eve, and he said again that the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me, the pride of life. You can escape the cross. You can escape the mission. And you can live in luxury for the rest of your life if you'll just worship me. Again, all about the glory of of God for himself. And Jesus said to him, away with you. Now look at the power of Jesus, man. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And I want to make sure that we tie worship and service together. They're the same thing. When you serve Jesus, you worship Jesus. When you serve others, you are doing an act of worship to your God. Moving on, all these things I will give you. So we see again the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life played out in Jesus' own experience. But something else 
that if we're not careful, we miss. I missed it for years. I would read this passage of Scripture, and I missed it for years and years. And then one day, has this ever happened to you? You're reading your Bible, and you have this moment. Huh? Oh. Hmm. Has that been there the whole time? And here's the moment. Satan said to Jesus, are you ready? If you are the Son of God, prove it. If you are the Son of God, do it. He again. So we see three, four strategies. Less of the eye. Less of the flesh. Pride of life. All aimed toward causing Jesus now to doubt himself. To doubt himself. Are you really the son of God? I don't really believe that. Because if you're the son of God, da, 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 da. Jesus didn't fall for it. Jesus did not fall for it. Satan tried to get him to doubt God's word, to doubt his own identity. Church, if you're a believer here today, Guess what? Listen to me now. He hasn't changed his strategy. He wants to cause you to doubt your identity in Christ. He wants to move you from resting in the hands of Jesus to trying to earn what Jesus gave you freely. He's trying to steal from you your confidence and the joy of your salvation which screams the glory of God to those around you. If you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, He wants us to doubt God's Word and His authority. Why do I say that? Because if you truly place your faith in Christ, you are His and you belong to Him and nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. Uh, John chapter 10 says, 10 says, My sheep hear my voice and I give unto them eternal life. And he goes on to say, Nothing shall pluck them out of my hand. Nothing. No thing in no one. But Satan wants to cause you to doubt. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your relationship with the Father. And he'll use anything in his arsenal to accomplish this. He wants to cause us to doubt. Ultimately, he wants, us to, he wants to cause us to doubt the character of God. That God is good. That God is powerful. That the callings of God will bring glory to God and salvation to mankind. So what do we do? What do we do when we're faced with these kinds of attacks? I can tell you this. I was, I was a young man, mid-twenties, answering the call of God to preach. There's a young man here this morning who believes the Lord is calling him to preach. He's from another church in another town. And his grandmother comes up to me and she's like glowing because he said, I, I really believe God's calling me to pastoral ministry. And... Um, so I talked to this young fellow, and I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing when God calls you, but the doubts and the fears, and, and, and I'll tell you, the, the, the enemy comes and tries to steal from you the callings of God that will bring glory to God. 
Here I was, 20-some years old, and I remember I was driving to work in Londonderry, uh, where I used to do solid surface countertops, and, and I, I pulled into the parking lot, and the enemy unleashed this attack with foolish questions that gender strife. Has God said? Did God really do this? How did God do that? That doesn't make any sense. And these questions came from nowhere. And here's the interesting thing about Satan and his fallen angels. They're fantastic ventriloquists. They can throw their voices and they can sound like you're thinking. So these questions are coming at me, but they're coming at me in my own voice. Like I'm thinking that I'm thinking this, but here's the thing about Satan. He is whispering to you, he's talking to you. Right now he's telling you, don't believe this, don't believe that, don't believe this, this is silly, this is stupid. And in my case, he just started hammering the foundation of my faith, Jesus Christ. And just question after question after question after question. And I felt like I was going to crumble under this pressure. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. Titus chapter 3 says this, avoid uh, foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. There are foolish questions There are foolish disputes that the design of them is of Satan to cause division and to cause strife and to cause doubt. And he was coming down on me. I wish I could just take you into that car with me. I was in my little Cavalier, 1988 Red Cavalier, sitting in this parking lot. And I felt like a mountain of doubt was crushing me. Can I tell you something, man? To God be the glory, there were a few memory verses burned into this ADD brain. I realized this. I was entertaining these thoughts and these questions, these foolish foolish disputes. And I decided that I needed to do something. And here's what I needed to do. So then faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say here this morning, I'm, I'm struggling with faith. I'm struggling with faith. I'm struggling. How do I increase my faith? Here you go. It's a formula. It's in the Bible. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so instead of entertaining these questions and these disputes, instead of arguing with what I I perceived at the time in the beginning to be myself, instead of arguing with myself, I began to realize I'm not arguing with myself. There There is a spiritual presence here There is a spiritual wickedness here that is trying to convince me to give up on Jesus, to walk away from my call, and all of the people that God had ordained me to lead to Christ and salvation, He wanted to take me off of that track before I even started on it. I began to recognize I'm not arguing with myself, I'm arguing with the enemy, and I need faith. And so I opened my old Thompson Chain reference Bible sitting in that parking lot, and I just started reading. I didn't know where to read. I was a kid. I started reading in Romans, and I just started reading page after page after page, and finally, I went into the, uh, into the office because it was time to punch in. I punched in. I was a lead uh, installer, so I made my assistant drive. I'm like, you're driving. Don't talk to me. And I took my Bible with me, and I sat in the passenger seat while I think it was your brother, Trish, Kenny, 
drove us down a Marblehead Mass, which is almost a two-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive. And I just read word after word. And the more that I read the Word of God, the more that doubt started to crack and peel and crumble until the enemy was defeated by the Word of the living God. The problem is, we don't recognize that it's Him often until it's too late. We entertain the thoughts. We entertain the lies. We turn them around. We ruminate on them. We meditate on them, right? We think about it. Could this be? Could that be? And we're not recognizing that it's not us. It's the enemy planting those thoughts, distracting, dissuading, deceiving, and he is a master. He is a master at it. So we need to wake up. We need to recognize Satan is real. Oh, he's real. And he wants to destroy your life and he wants to destroy your purpose and he wants to destroy your impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I don't know if you can read this, but this has become unclassified. Like, he doesn't want you to know this. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I took up the shield of faith. Some people know that I like comic books. When I was a kid, my best friend was my dog in my comic books, so Avengers is coming out in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. Like when... um, What's his name that plays Tony Stark? Downey. When he hangs it up, like, who can play Iron Man? Who, who else is there? This struck me several, several months ago. Put on the whole armor of God. That Sometimes when we talk about putting on the armor of God, we're thinking that it's something that we have to carry, we have to put on, and we're thinking of it like medieval armor, right? Like it's super heavy, and it's weighing us down. I have my breastplate, I have my greaves, I have my belt. You know, shield, and it's almost as heavy as I am, and we're fighting like this. But the armor of God is more like Iron Man's armor. It's like AI, artificial. Hello, Alfred. Right? It, the armor of God is intelligent because the armor of God, get this, now don't lose this, hang on to this. The armor of God, the armor of God is God. You say, what? It says shield, it says... Romans chapter 13, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when, it first, when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of, listen, of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Okay, so that's all right, light, God, wait, wait for it. He goes on and he says this in verse 14, Romans 13, 14, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Man, that's where it starts. Immerse yourself in the Word of God and in the living Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. Now, we're going to break the armor down in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about the shield of faith. We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and why God used 
those specific pieces? Why did he illustrate himself with those pieces? Because it's important that we put on this whole armor. But make sure you understand this. The armor is powered by Jesus. You're literally putting on Jesus, his power, his experience, his intelligence, his skill, his ability. It's like putting on Tony Stark's armor, man. Put it on autopilot. I mean, Jesus is the one that answers the devil. Understand this. Michael the archangel, the Bible says, was disputing with Satan about the body of Moses. And Michael didn't say, have at you, Lucifer. The Bible says Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. We need to understand this. It is God. It is Jesus who is amazing and who is awesome and who empowers us and enlivens us and gives us the intelligence. He gave us his word so that we could see the strategy of Satan, the devices of the devil, so that we could walk around with our eyes open. He says, awake out of sleep, look around, see what's coming. Man, I hope that you will this morning. All heads bowed and eyes closed as we, as we prepare our hearts for worship. Understand, Satan is powerful, but he does not hold a candle to Jesus. He really doesn't. Um, as a matter of fact, I want you to think about it like this. Jesus is the sun and Satan is a candle. What happens if you stick a candle on the tar at noon? Just go out there, stick a little one-inch diameter candle, stick it, on the, stick it on the tar in the middle of summer at noon, and the sun is at its apex. What happens to that candle? It gets soft, it begins to melt, and it turns into a puddle of wax. Man, do not give Satan glory that he does not deserve. He is not God. But then again, neither are we. Neither are we. And that's why we need the armor of God. We need Jesus. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the Lord. He is our master. He is our savior. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.